Hello, welcome to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Each episode, we bring you a conversation with leaders across the healthcare industry, exploring topics ranging from new treatment techniques and interventions to novel service delivery methods and business models. And now your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, a leader in patient engagement and retention strategy. Let's explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Well, hello again. Welcome to another episode of the Better Outcome Show. I'm your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions. If you are a clinic owner, administrator, or marketing specialist, and you want to bring in more patients, retain them throughout their course of care, and create uniquely impactful patient experiences, then I suggest you go check out the Ultimate Patient Experience Blueprint. You can find that at www.rehabupracticesolutions.com slash U-P-E. That's rehab, the letter U, practice solutions, slash U-P-E. Or if you just want to check out what we do, you can go to www.rehabupracticesolutions.com and click on the What We Do tab. Anyways, that's all the uh, promotions we've got this <laughs> this week. This week, we're doing a solo episode. I'm just going to sit here and talk about a couple articles that I've read over the last few weeks, kind of what they mean for us as clinicians around uh, interpersonal communications. So as some of you may know, um, and I've mentioned it a few times on the podcast, I just finished up writing a book that's titled Better Outcomes, A Guide for Humanizing Healthcare. You can find information about that book, again, at the website, rehabupracticesolutions.com. Just click on the tab for books. You can kind of get a little synopsis. Publisher tells me it'll be out sometime in the fall of 2022. And obviously we'll make the announcement if you're on the email list, you'll get the 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 announcement whenever we know the date and how all that's gonna work out as far as where you can order the books and all that. I'm assuming everywhere books are sold, but you know. Um, but part of that book, I have an entire chapter in there about the importance of interpersonal communication and relationships insofar as they help facilitate really optimal clinical outcomes as well as the things that some business owners care about right the metrics the patient retention the engagement the the ratings and reviews all of that kind of stuff the reality is intentionally creating and developing strong interpersonal relationships with patients is good for the patients it's good for the clinicians it's good for the business metrics it's just good all around the board it's a win-win-win scenario it improves the clinical outcomes, which in the long run will help decrease overall healthcare spend. So again, payers and insurance companies like that as well, because they don't have to spend out as much. But this idea of the importance of communication and how sometimes it, we do it really, really well and how sometimes it goes off the rails or it, it doesn't work, <clears throat> right? And I was just struck by a few articles that kind of popped across my newsfeed or in my inbox. I don't really know how they came came across into my world here. One of them was an article that was written by, it was written in the Insider um, under their health uh, page. I'm trying to look. It was published May 9th, so a couple days before sitting and recording this. This is May 11th now. And the article is about 
how doctors dismissed a student's complaint of pain and weight loss, vomiting, and chalked it up to her alcohol consumption. Um, and it turns out that she had some kind of very serious stage four cancer um, that ended up, I'm, I'm assuming, just given the way this article is going, that it looks like she's she has a very low survival rate based off the diagnosis and all that. And the article talks a lot about ga medical gaslighting. Now, for those of you who have not heard this term, I've heard it kind of here and there, but here's a definition from, from the article. But medical gaslighting is when medical professionals dismiss a person's symptoms, deny tests or treatment, and ultimately misdiagnose them. Now, I am not a fan of the way a lot of these articles tend to go in these publications because they're, they're kind of attention grabbing and they're trying to get people all spun up. It's an emotional story and they're really playing into that without really truly looking at kind of both sides of the coin. So what I want to do a little bit here is just talk some about just the basics of interpersonal communication Kind of as the research shows it, I'm going to talk about a book that I read a couple years ago called uh, What Patients Say, What Doctors Hear by uh, Dr. Danielle Orfrey. Uh, Ofrey. And, um, and then a little bit out of, out of the, the forthcoming book, the Better Outcomes book here, and just kind of try to tie this all together and what this means for clinicians, for administrators, for people who find themselves in a position where patients and clients are disclosing information to us in the hope of receiving some sort of care or guidance or um, really help in whatever their, their healthcare situation is. You know, we had Bronnie Thompson on the show way, way back, like episode five or six, talking about chronic pain. And one of the things that she said, which has really struck with me and stuck with me since then, was that we as clinicians really need to look at ourselves as knowledge translators, not so much um, interventionalists. Of course, sometimes we do need to do an intervention, right? We need to give an injection. We need to provide a, some manual therapy or some soft tissue mobilizations, whatever it, whatever it happens to be. Sometimes that's appropriate. You know, we need to provide exercises. We need to um, create a plan of care with the patients. But what we do as clinicians and really where our value lies in the grand scheme of healthcare is not so much those passive treatments that involve us doing something to or for the patient, our real value and the value that we bring to the proverbial table of healthcare is that we have this vast and wide knowledge that we receive through our training. You know, some people go to school for eight years and become doctors. Some people get doctorate degrees. Most, most clinicians are very well educated and very well trained, and it's specifically within their specialty field. Um, so we have a lot of very special, highly specialized, highly technical knowledge. And that in and of itself is not super, super valuable. I mean, you can find most of that. Anybody that understands how to work Google or Google Scholar and tap into some of those databases can read the research, can find the articles that support XYZ. What makes clinicians valuable is that we're able to take that very wide breadth of technical and sometimes very deep specialty knowledge. And we're able to take that knowledge and apply it to a specific individual and that specific person and their situation and what they have going on. 
Um, that's kind of why well, it's one of the main reasons that, that I'm a very, very big promoter of taking a biopsychosocial approach to healthcare, where we look at all of these dynamic factors that might be affecting a patient's lived experience of pain or dysfunction or, or really limitations as a result of their medical condition. And we try to tailor what we're doing or what we think is the best for this patient one off of our understanding of the research and our understanding of the the kind of technical how-to side of healthcare, but also incorporating into that that patient's lived experience and their context, where they're going to be living and trying to you know adhere to home programs or treatment plans and making things fit within the context of their life as opposed to simply you know you have a rotator cuff issue or impingement or something like that and these are the exercises you have to do no matter what you know we try to we try to tailor what we're doing to to the individual and not to the diagnosis right so that's that's where we should be coming from as healthcare clinicians. But let's take a step back then and look at this idea of medical gaslighting or um, misdiagnosis. So I do not believe the article here is very generous to healthcare providers because it lumps misdiagnosis into medical gaslighting, which I don't believe is very founded in any way. There, there are multiple reasons why somebody might get a... Um, might why a clinician might miss a diagnosis, right? There could be other dynamic factors that make it more complicating. There could be other comorbidities. There could be, you know, even there's some research to show too, like if uh, if a clinician's been part of a fellowship or has recently taken a, a course or specialty course that, you know, if you're primed to see something, you're going to see it more often, right? So I don't necessarily chalk misdiagnosis up to this whole medical gaslighting idea, but there is something to be said about the times where we as clinicians hear what a patient says and have already predetermined what's going on without fully listening to the situation. And there is some room for, for growth in that. It's a fine line to walk. I think if you, if you listen back a few, several episodes ago, again, maybe like the fir- one of the first 10 episodes we did an episode on leading patient engagements and how it's the clinician's responsibility to take into account everything that's going on in a patient's situation and then guide the treatment process. We don't necessarily mean dictate the treatment process, but there are times where it is entirely appropriate and really an ethical requirement on behalf of the uh, the clinician to say, Mr. or Mrs., you know, whatever, um, you, I know that you really feel this treatment, treatment A, is going to be the best for you in your situation. However, knowing what I know from the literature and seeing hundreds of patients in your situation and just hearing about what you've got going on personally and in your life and how you know, whatever, X, Y, Z, insert dynamic factor, I really think that treatment X is going to be better. And I believe it because of whatever the reasons are. And holding firm to that. Not because you're the clinician and you're right all the time, but because you have a responsibility as the clinician to lead that clinical course of care, or as we call it, that that patient encounter, that patient engagement. 
And that is a, is a responsibility that lies with all clinicians. So it shouldn't be, there should never be a situation where a patient is coming in and dictating to you what treatment should look like, or even, you know, we would never do this on a, on a, like you think about this in a, in a much more extreme situation. Like I, I won't, I would not walk into a neurosurgeon's office and say, you know, I did some research and I think I've got X, Y, Z, and I need you to do this procedure in order to fix it. Right. The way healthcare works is that a patient goes to a clinician and explains what is going on, their situation, the symptoms, the limitations, and it's the clinician's role to hear all those, understand them, to actually hear them, actively understand them, and then do whatever kind of uh, diagnostic testing or um, assessment that needs to be done to kind of confirm that diagnosis or that hypothesis, and then develop with the client or the patient the treatment plan going forward. So when I hear the term medical gaslighting, I don't really see it as an issue of the clinician or the doctor or whoever, whoever's at question, the medical professional in question, intentionally minimizing a patient's complaints or symptoms. Of course, I'm sure that does happen in some situations, and I've been involved in care of complex uh, patients before, for example, doing some pain management, interdisciplinary pain management work at the Department of Veterans Affairs. And there were times where we had frequent flyers, as, as we called them, patients that kind of were the revolving door. They would show up every few months. They'd have relatively similar complaints to the last time. A lot of, the, a lot of their dysfunction or a lot of their limitations were very complex because it wasn't just a musculoskeletal pain issue. There was there was a mental health diagnosis associated with it, something like post-traumatic stress disorder or, or something along those lines. And in situations like that, it can be very easy for healthcare clinicians to kind of fall into, as uh, Larry Ben said on, on the, the episode we did with him and his book called To Care, it's very easy to get calloused to those types of situations and to really dismiss this patient partly because of the familiarity, oh, it's Mr. Smith, and he always complains about this, X, Y, Z. And, and really, in, that, in those situations, sometimes the, the clinician does dismiss the patient's complaints because they, they feel like they know this person, this person's been in here all the time, that's the same, the same thing, they're going to be gone in six months, and then they'll show back, in a, show back up in a year and have the same complaints, we'll kind of start from scratch. Um, so sometimes that does happen. I'm, I'm not minimizing that at all. But in general, when somebody presents to or shows up to an appointment or an assessment or a consultation with a clinician, and it's the first time they've seen that clinician, it's the first time the clinician's seen them, I don't believe in general many clinicians are intentionally minimizing what they're hearing. I mean, sometimes they might come to those preconceived conclusions based off of, again, courses they might have taken or their experience. But most clinicians are going to seek to understand what's going on and then confirm that that diagnosis with whatever assessment they, they deem, right? So just, I like to give people <laughs> as much 
credit as possible. I don't tend to, you know, fall into, I try not to fall into that fundamental attribution error that, um, that is pretty common, that this person made the mistake and it's because of the way they think or because of some indemnable character flaw of them. I think that most, as a, as a general rule, most clinicians are honestly trying to listen, to understand, and to do what's best by their patients. And most patients come to clinicians truly seeking treatment and guidance and uh, assistance in, in recovering from whatever their diagnosis is. So just starting at that baseline, why might there be reasons where a patient says something and the clinician either dismisses it or appears to dismiss it or minimizes it or... Um, gets it wrong, right? Doesn't, doesn't really hear what the patient has to say. Part of that, as I mentioned before, might be their past experience. How many times have you seen a, a patient that has walked in with chronic pain, for example, and it falls very much a, a, a common pattern of previous patients, and we try to just, you know, the heuristics, you know, where we're naturally our brains are, are lazy and we try to just make those quick connections, connect the dots for the patient and kind of move them on their way because we've seen this a thousand times before. So there are times when as clinicians, especially the more specialized we get, I see this happening more and more, at least in my own practice and in, in other uh, healthcare providers that I've consulted with, that as you get deeper into that specialty and you begin really narrowing that focus and you're seeing a lot of very similar situations, similar, similar cases, there is a, there is a point in that practice in your practice where you need to begin very intentionally trying to practice those active listening skills, the empathy skills, all of those, because if you don't watch it, <laughs> if, if you're, if all you're doing is kind of falling into the routine of looking at diagnoses and symptoms as opposed to individual people, then yes, you're going to minimize whatever a, a, a patient says that doesn't fall in line with the pattern that you've seen over the last you know, 10 years in your specialty. So we do want to avoid that. And I think when we, whenever we talk about interpersonal communications and empathy and caring and building relationships, a lot of us technically minded folks, folks that understand the research and the literature and the technical skills and we're really into it, have a difficult time kind of wrapping our heads around that because the less tangible components of medical care, primarily the whole communication piece, the connection, the human connection, empathy, they're harder to measure and to track both internally and as a function of clinical outcomes than something like strength measurements or range of motion or, I mean, blood, you know, like lab levels, glucose levels or, or whatever it is. Um, and even though there's been a constant stream of research, I feel like over the last 15, 20 years, around the idea of those non- clinical factors that affect long-term patient outcomes, um, it is very, it's still very difficult because it's qualitative research a lot of times. And for those of us, at least, like I come from the musculoskeletal uh, outpatient 
rehab world, the musculoskeletal pain world, we're, we're big on our objective measures. <laughs> um, and it can be hard to kind of to dive into some of those qualitative research studies and, and really understand them, right? Um, but if we understand that healthcare at its basic, basic component is, or its basic level is a human interaction, it's one person, I've said this a lot, it's one person skilled in the art of healing, that would be you, the clinician, and another person in pain. And the person that is skilled in the art of healing or has those that knowledge um, is is helping that person on their own unique road to recovery. So that that view of healthcare that that I promote and that I have here fundamentally changes the way we look at patients. If you if you really adopt it, because it's no longer figuring out what you're going to do with a diagnosis or figuring out what you're going to do with a symptom. It's based off of a human relationship. There's another person across the table or across the exam room, whatever it happens to be from you. And those patient-clinician relationships form through all of those little social interactions that happen in the day-to-day clinical routine. You know, what the, what the patient tells you when they show up for their appointment, their complaints, their symptoms, what they say worked better or caused some relief in their pain or improved their pain and what didn't, all of that. And it's very complex. It's a it's a very uh, nebulous nebulous thing. You can't rate it. You can't say my communication is a ten out of fifteen today. I've got to improve it. No, I mean it's it's a very organic kind of in the moment thing. And there are some days that we're better at it than others. Now, some days maybe your own life circumstances are causing you to be very stressed, and that means that you listen a little less or that you're preoccupied and patients pick up on that and that can kind of damage that um, that therapeutic rapport uh, the therapeutic rapport the therapeutic alliance the patient relationship whatever you want to call it but communication plays a large role in developing that relationship how a clinician speaks asks questions the types of questions they ask how, how they ask those questions and even body language impacts the trust and the confidence that a patient feels about that healthcare interaction. So oftentimes, I've said this a lot, this relationship kind of forms on the fly, so to speak. Like clinicians don't intentionally try to form strong patient relationships. I always say that the people who chose to go into healthcare as a career or even as a calling are naturally skilled with interpersonal communication and relationship building. So most of the time, those clinicians are able to form um, those relationships relatively easily without a whole lot of intentional work. It's just part of what we do. Um, and part of that is, especially in healthcare, which is a, a, a very much a service-based industry, the people that are drawn to that, that whatever specialty it is, usually have some sort of personal connection to it. You know, my... Um, my grandfather was a vascular surgeon and I remember going and visiting him in the summers and he had his, his own private practice up in Ohio. And I remember spending the day in his clinic, kind of tagging along, um, in and out of the office and kind of seeing him talk with patients. And one of the things that really impacted me personally was that he 
knew a lot of his patients by name. They were talking to him, them about their families and this, that, and the other. And I remember I was, I was young, six or seven, maybe eight, um, at the latest. And I remember talking to him about being a surgeon and being a doctor and, um, kind of the, the career path of being a doctor. And he said something to me very kind of probably in passing because it was just the way that he was about the importance of doing what was right for the patient, regardless of whether or not there was money in it or the financial procedures or, or, or whatever it was. But he truly tried to impress upon me that for him anyways, healthcare and vascular surgery is where he ended up because he was interested in it and he was good at it. And um, he felt like he was making an impact. But the reason he went into healthcare and became a doctor was to help people not fix blood vessels. And he said it in passing one time. And it kind of, it always stuck with me. Like this was, this was not just a job for him. He was not very, he was, he was very technically skilled and, and knowledgeable, but that wasn't why he was still practicing as a vascular surgeon. He was practicing as a vascular surgeon because he wanted to help people and he felt a calling and he just had a natural gift, a natural skill set in this area. So he kept on pursuing it, right? I think most people that get into healthcare have some sort of calling because that's what it is. Uh, at the end of the day, you're, go- you're going to burn out in healthcare if you pick it because it's a good, stable career. Unless there's some sort of purpose that you're that you find yourself, you know, trying to live out, it is it's it's a hard road. You know, declining reimbursements, increasing productivity demands, you know, higher volume requirements, billing, coding, all of that will will burn a clinician out in no time flat. The way that we, at least the way that I see to prevent that, to prevent that clinical burnout, the clinician burnout, and improve overall clinical outcomes and really the fulfillment that clinicians feel in their job is to really focus on on the fact that it is not just a job, it's not just a technical thing, it's a, it's a human interaction, it's built on relationships and trust and communication. So from that standpoint, healthcare is a human relationship or human interaction, that human interaction by necessity because we're social beings involves a lot of communication because that communication is is how information gets relayed from the patient to the clinician and that dynamic is oftentimes more important than the actual treatments that get provided um just from from the clinical outcome standpoint right um now when clinicians get busy they feel rushed they're under pressure to meet whatever I just mentioned, productivity metrics, demands, all of that. They fall into the, the idea of conveyor belt treatment, right? They see patients like check boxes that need to be ticked in order to, to do their job, to make their boss happy, to get paid, whatever it happens to be. And if you think about it, it's not really the clinician's fault. They're in an environment where time-based productivity kind of runs the show, and that's a, a whole other topic for another day. But we need to focus on how do we build those strong patient relationships? Because when you think about stories or when you read stories like this, that this person got gaslighted and they got, um, they went six or seven months. And then by the time they got their diagnosis, it was too late. A lot of that was, is because the clinician is in, is operating from this p- 
position a lot of times of feeling those external pressures to meet whatever kind of KPIs are, are they're under pressure to meet. Um, and it becomes very easy to, to kind of gloss over the human element and just simply look at symptoms and um, symptoms and dysfunctions and diagnoses and not really dig into that interpersonal relationship that should develop during healthcare, right? During a healthcare interaction. And ultimately, our aim as clinicians should be to communicate to our patients an attitude of care, empathy, and sincerity. We want those patients to know that we don't merely see them as a number, but as real people that are experiencing some kind of real dysfunction or real limitation. And we want to cultivate in that moment or in that appointment or session or consultation an environment or a context of safety, trust, and collaboration. While we do need to check those boxes, we need to get some measurements here, we need to make sure that we're coding it right, all of that kind of stuff, and gather the important information that we need to to do the job part properly, we also need to be aware of the social and emotional role that we as clinicians play in the healthcare process. So patient education and counseling, responding to patient emotions, and even simply providing an empathetic ear or a sounding board plays just as an important role in in the healthcare process as gathering those accurate range of motion measurements, manual muscle testing, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and that's that's something that is very easily missed if we're just kind of going through the motions, checking off boxes and um, doing the job part or the technical part of healthcare without really truly viewing it as a calling. And maybe that's the whole point of what I want to say today is that healthcare is at the end of the day something that we are called to do as opposed to select to do as a means for a a good, stable, long-term career. If that's why you got into healthcare for the career part, um, you can probably <laughs> expect a whole lot of stress and burnout. Maybe you'll change careers down the line. Um, we have to remember that at the end of the day, what matters most, and I, you know, I, I try to think about this in the context of, of work and contribution to society and all that kind of stuff, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many certifications we get, how many um, initials we get at the end of our name. What really matters for us to have created value, because that's part of what we're trying to do here as well when we operate healthcare businesses, the way we create value is by truly impacting and improving the lives of those who seek our guidance and our services. And the only way that really happens is, or the only way it can consistently happen, um, is to view every person that comes into our clinic or into our healthcare facility, not just as a, a number or a diagnosis or a series of symptoms that need to be fixed, but as a, an individual person who is experiencing something, some kind of limitation or pain or or whatever it is, and is seeking 
seeking relief and seeking help from us, but not in a way, but not in a way that requires us to dictate to them based off their diagnosis and their symptoms, what they're going to get from us, but in a way that is really collaborative and, um, collaborative and caring, really. At the end of the day, we, we want to, we want clients and patients to walk away from a healthcare experience from our clinic and feel like they, they engaged with a clinician who not only cared about their symptoms, but sought to understand how those symptoms or how those limitations impacted their day-to-day function in their life. And then with them, in conjunction with them, coordinated or created and developed a treatment plan that was going to hopefully address that and improve their quality of life in the long run. So while we might hear about maybe some clinicians missing the mark or things like medical gaslighting and all of the the emotional emotional stories that kind of arise out of situations where maybe legitimate mistakes were made. Um, I think for the most part, we want to look at, we want to look at healthcare, the stories coming out of it, and kind of the industry itself, really from this viewpoint of fundamentally it being a human experience and making decisions both in our clinics and our businesses and our healthcare organizations that prioritize developing that type of interaction or those types of relationships. Because it's one thing to understand that there is a situation or a, a series of circumstances where certain groups of people um, might feel and might legitimately be, if you look at the numbers, gaslighted or um, legitimately might have disparities in misdiagnosing or being um, being labeled as drug seeking or, or whatever the whatever happens, whatever our terminology is in the healthcare field to label those patients that are difficult to deal with. whatever whatever they happen to be, if we fundamentally understand healthcare, to be a human experience, to be built on relationships and trust, we need to make decisions, both at an organizational level and at, as an individual level. You know, individual clinicians need to make these decisions and this, these commitments, but also organizations do, to prioritize relationship building between clinicians and patients. Because... It's one thing to point out that medical gaslighting happens or that you know, research shows um, that, young and, um, that young people are more likely to experience um, uh, some kind of misdiagnosis. Or I think one study showed that um, younger women are, are two times more likely than young men to have a medical expert give them a mental health diagnosis when their symptoms pointed more to a heart disease issue. So like those are those are legitimate statistics. So what what do we do with them? I think it's it's one thing just to kind of get all up in arms about it. It's another to to really focus on a real and practical solution. And the way I see it, 
you know, everything that we do at Rehab U, the book that, that's coming out in the fall, all of it, um, really centers around the idea of remembering what healthcare is and what it's not. And healthcare ultimately should be built on relationships because it, is, it involves people or a real person, whether, whether, it's, um, whether your clinic uses some sort of fancy uh, artificial intelligence to do some sort of diagnostic portion or whether you're using a lot of technology to manage the care um, or whether it's traditional you know, in-person appointments. Ultimately, the person receiving the care or the subject of that care is a person, is a real person with real feelings and a, ultimately a unique situation, a unique set of circumstances that affect their experience of their diagnosis. So what we need to remember as clinicians in our day-to-day practice is just simply that, that we're dealing with unique individuals. And then what we need to do as organizational leaders, um, whether it be running small clinics or running larger healthcare organizations, is to build a culture and an environment that promotes the development of those relationships. Um, Yeah, I think that's all I've got to say on that. So you can look up the book. Like I said, um, rehabupracticesolutions.com. Just click on the tab for books and uh, you can get a little synopsis about what the book is about. And like I said, if you're on the email list, I will shoot out an announcement when I know the actual launch date, the go live date, if you would. And um, maybe I'll even throw in a few free copies or something like that for listeners and and subscribers. What my ultimate goal here over the next little bit with with the show is, you know, we've kind of had a wide array of topics and Um, professionals. And I really, really like that. I like having a conversation one day with somebody who's developing some sort of technology or platform to better deliver care. And then the next week have a conversation with somebody who's like a boots on the ground clinical researcher, and then talk with another folk, uh, another, another person down the line who's like into real estate, you know, I like that wide smattering of, of topics because, uh, I don't know about you, but I tend to have um, uh, maybe ADD. I don't know. I'm not going to label myself as that, but I do like just reading and exploring very wide topics and how they relate to to our industry of healthcare and to our ultimate calling and vocation of healthcare. Um, And it's just interesting to me. So over the next several episodes over the next several months because I think we're when I originally started this podcast it was 2020 I think June or July of 2020 was when the first episode launched my original goal or my original plan was to do it for a couple years and then kind of see where we're at and maybe do it more after that but I don't know it's just turned into be a really fun project so I can see myself still doing it despite all the, the craziness that I've got going on at work, you know, with the, you know, writing this book, launching this book, running a clinic, purchasing a clinic, all of that kind of stuff. Doing the work with clients at Rehab U. It's just been super, super busy, and I'm trying to find a way to fit this in 
because it is a project that I very much enjoy. So over the next several months, my goal is to be a little bit more, maybe even strategic is a bad word, I hate it, but a little bit more thoughtful about the categories of episodes that we do. So I'm considering having a few of the previous guests come back and maybe dive deeper into certain topics and maybe releasing those episodes in a um, a sequential manner that's like, okay, the next four episodes are going to be on um, business management in healthcare. And the next, you know, the, the few episodes after that will be on um, specifically, you know, clinical interactions or patient interactions or patient engagement. I haven't fully ironed out the details yet. And part of this is because um, we're, we're trying to work on getting guests lined up kind of the way we do things, this is kind of how the sausage is made type deal. The way I normally have for the last couple of years have, have done the, the episodes and when they launch and all that has really just been, okay, so-and-so can, can schedule for next week. We're going to you know, do the interview next week and that'll just be the next one that, that goes out in the queue. And it's more, it's kind of just chronological, you know, Bill recorded on Friday with me and George reco- recorded on Monday. So you know, Bill's episode is coming out first and George's is coming out second. So I'm trying to put into place all the planning to make it more, um, maybe holding back some episodes and releasing them in conjunction with other episodes in the same vein. So there's sort of like a, almost like a series, like the next four episodes are on X or Y or, or whatever. So, um, I'd love some feedback if you want to shoot me an email about that and how, um, if you think that's worth it or if what's working is, you know, what, what we're doing is working, just shoot me an email at info, I-N-F-O, at rehabupracticesolutions.com. Love hearing from folks, and uh, I definitely respond to most all of them. It might take me a while to respond because I'm super, super busy here in this mini season here of the summer, but um, definitely love hearing back from folks. And uh, if you've got requests for an episode or a topic or you have a guest or you yourself want to want to be on the episodes um be on an episode again shoot me an email and we'll kind of have a conversation and see if it makes sense to to move forward um and if you've got topics that you want to hear about let me know and i'll try to track down some folks to interview on those topics um yeah i think that's that's it for today so Um, Healthcare is a human relationship, a human experience. Um, Let's go out and try to develop those relationships intentionally with with our patients and our clients. So until the next time, everyone, be safe, be healthy. I will talk to you then. Thanks for listening to The Better Outcome Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode informed, equipped, and empowered to push the boundaries in your own practice or business. We want to give you the tools to help you build strong, long-lasting relationships with your patients and clients, helping meet their goals, improve their health, and achieve better outcomes. Learn more at www.RehabUPracticeSolutions.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.